we go on a Halloween morning, 2021, in Las Vegas. I just had a mask on. I took it off. I should have kept it on. We have uh, some haunted spirits going on with the radio right now. Anyways, just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. Uh, we are here same time every Sunday morning on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM flagship, the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from the Wisden. Oh, we don't play it now because uh, that's comes after. But anyways, um, he's also it's also known as Spencer Studio. It's in Las Vegas and it's located basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard. We are here because until further notice, we have been booted out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studios due to COVID protocol. One day that will end. I think they're working on something soon, Spence, when everyone's vaccinated. They'll let everyone back in, but I think they're waiting for every single person to get that done. But joining me on the show is social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. That's right. The Wiz has his own theme music. And producing today's show, social distancing back in the Fox Sports, residential Bancorp studio producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows on Lotus Broadcasting, he is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network and the home pre-pre-game show host for UNLV football on our sister station, ESPN, the leader. This show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network. You can watch the show on Facebook Live as well. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E, thanks to StreamYard. And you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. The handle is at Out of Line Fox LV. Since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio Line, 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more details. On tap, the Vegas Gold Knights have won three straight after losing four of their first five, UNLV lost in Reno and remains winless under Marcus Arroyo. More upsets in college football. The 2021 World Series might be won by a team that was under 500 in August, as late as August. It's crazy. We'll talk about that. And the NFC West leading Las Vegas Raiders, who are on a bye week, but uh, coming off two straight wins with an interim head coach and an ousted coach. Uh, that'll be part of the subject matter today. And not a lot of marquee matchups this week in the NFL, but there are a couple worth talking about. Probably the biggest matchups already been played, and that was Thursday night. And the NBA's number one draft pick made his NBA debut last night. How was it? Well, Anthony Bennett knows he had a similar debut. You know who he is? We'll talk about that as well. Listen, that's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. And right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 toward closing costs absolutely free for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home loan purchase program in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for details. And uh, Spence... You're back, man. It's been a couple of weeks. You had COVID a few weeks ago on vacation last week. Spent some time with the family, and you're back, man. How are you feeling? Well, I'm a little tired right now, but uh, no, I'm doing good. It's always great to be on the radio with you. On the radio and on video, and I had a little – I had a, a costume on when I first started, but I couldn't see through the damn thing, so I got rid of it. I figure Facebook viewers, man, i do them a favor by putting a mask on today, but not going to happen. Listen, um, you know – the Vegas Golden Knights. Last week we had David Shane on the show to talk about the Knights and kind of what was going on and why they started the season stuck in the mud a little bit. They've kind of turned things around, and we'll talk about that right now. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. 
is finally moving in the right direction for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Magnum back in the studio joining me on the show. I mean, covering these guys since they uh, joined the National Hockey League in the 2017-2018 season. There was a lot of concern. And maybe that's a little bit overstated. I guess not a lot of concern. Let's say some concern about the start the team had this year. Some big-time changes made in the offseason. As we all know, Marc-Andre Fleury, now a Chicago Blackhawk. Things not going very well for Marc-Andre in Chicago. Really feel bad about that. I hope things get turned around. But that team, uh, they look like a dumpster fire. And um, he's not helping the matter any between the pipes. And a matter of fact, he's uh, sat a few games on the bench now. But that's not the issue. The issue has been the Vegas Golden Knights. They have been plagued with the injury bug earlier in this season, uh, unlike they have in their previous four initial seasons. Uh, And that's been a concern. But somehow they've righted this ship. Uh, Pete DeBoer switching up lines, changing things, and now they've won three straight games. Chris, nice turnaround. What do you attribute it to? Well, I think the, the, the big difference is that this team defensively, I think, is playing a lot better. Even in the Islanders game, they played pretty well defensively. Just the Islanders are, are, are a really good team, and they, they have the ability to just completely take your offense away. Uh, Sorokin was really good in that game for, for the Islanders and getting the shutout, but... Uh, you know, the, the the thing is, I think they've cut down on their giveaways. Uh, they seem to have found some consistency. And, you know, they, they, they've gotten a couple guys back from, from I mean, Yamark yeah, returned, then he left, unfortunately. We, we're, we're not sure. Uh, Will Carrier's provided a spark for them, being bumped up to the first line, and they got Alec Martinez back uh, in Dallas. So, uh, you know, I mean, look, the, the reality is this team, this team, and and I attribute it to Jonathan Marsh or so, because he, I, I believe, look, he's he's obviously not Mark Stone. He's not Max Pacioretty. But he is the heart and soul of this team. And for five seasons now, when this team has needed a pickup or a lift, it's been number 81 who's provided. Look, they were dead in Dallas. It would have been very easy for them to pack it in, given the, the situation with the travel, the second night of a back-to-back, they were, I, and I don't know how many people actually know what 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 transpired in on Wednesday, but they played in Colorado on Tuesday night, and generally what happens is you'll leave the town or the city right after your game, and if you've ever been to Denver, you know that the airport is like an hour outside of downtown Denver. So they play the Avalanche on Tuesday night. They get on the bus. They go to the airport. They get on the plane. The plane heads down the the uh, uh, taxiway and turns around and heads back to the gate. Now, we don't know. I I've, I have not been told why why they returned. I, I believe it has something to do with weather in the, in the Dallas area at the time. They had to go back to the hotel and spend the night in Denver. They got up Tuesday morning and flew to, or Wednesday morning and flew to Dallas the day of the game. They didn't get to the arena until like two hours before they were supposed to start getting ready for the game. So... They, they were blown out in the first half of that game, at least in terms of shots. And, and I think, you know, the Stars really looked like the better team. It would have been really easy for them to pack it in. They were down a goal, and they pulled Laurent Brossois. And who is it that comes up with the big goal to turn that game around? Jonathan So as usual. I mean, that is what he is. He's not going to get the headlines, but he is the guy who makes this team go. And... When they needed that big goal on Wednesday night in Dallas, it was Jonathan Marchessault who provided it. Look, uh, Friday night, they, they they played well in spurts. <laughs> they allowed the Ducks back into the game in the third period. The Golden Knights probably should have slammed the door when it was 4-1. to one. But, you know, Anaheim's a, a young team, and they have a lot of kids who they want to win. And a lot of kids who aren't used to losing. So, so when you have that winning mentality, it, it, it transfers. That's that was two nights in a row that the Ducks came from three goals down to get a game in the overtime. That's impressive for a young team that, well, quite frankly, isn't very good. But I think for for Vegas, what's what's really changed is they've cut down on their turnovers and and the giveaways. And I think they've shored up a bit defensively. Uh, if if people remember Friday night, the second goal that that Dallas scored, I think it was the Zegers goal or um, the Ducks scored, it was a Zegers goal. The Golden Knights dominated an offensive possession, and it was a big rebound that set the Ducks off on on that little uh, run to get the, the second goal of the night. But 
look, I mean, they have a big road trip coming up. They're going to be in Toronto. They're playing a team that's that's going to be very that that has not started out the way they wanted to. Then they're in Ottawa, and then you got the Montreal game circled, and then they go to Detroit. Four game road trip. I think these are all winnable games. Obviously, they're not going to win all four because it is it is you know on the road, and teams generally play better at home. So it's a tall ask to to, to ask them to go four and zero on this road trip. But I think if you come home with more points, one. Then dropped. I think that's a that's a good road trip. No, Chris, I'm going to agree with you. And one of the things that has always been said in sports is the good teams win the close games. And even though the Golden Knights did let Anaheim back in that game Friday night, they ended up winning it in the shootout. And good teams win the close games. And a close one, a tight one in Dallas, as you mentioned, uh, they won that one as well. And and thanks to Jonathan Marchessault so and a big, huge goal in that game. Uh, one guy you didn't mention, and I will not disagree that Jonathan Marchessault so is one of the main heartbeats of this Vegas Golden Knights team. Um, And I don't think he flies under the radar, Chris. I think a lot of people understand how good number 81 is across the National Hockey League, and the Knights have paid him handsomely to keep him here because of that. And this guy, I mean, for a small guy, I mean, I don't know that anyone his size and stature plays bigger than Jonathan Marchessault because he's also a very physical player and doesn't shy away from the physicality at all. But the guy that I'm really impressed with this year, we started seeing him really come into his own last year but how about Chandler Stevenson Chris I mean no one's even close in points to this guy that he has just been playing complete lights out hockey uh this entire season four goals five assists in eight games how big has Chandler Stevenson really stepping up and elevating his game been this season especially with the absence of Mark Stone and uh Max Pacioretty were kind of his two line mates uh, last season yeah I think Chandler Stevenson has has kind of ended the debate on whether he was or he wasn't a first-line center. Look, he has been phenomenal to start the season. Look, he scored the winning goal in game one. He had a big goal in in, in uh, one of the other games. So, yeah, he, he is kind of, and I think a lot of people and, and you know, we, we the media especially, we, we kind of debated, look, is Chandler Stevenson a product of playing with Max Pacioretty and, and Mark Stone? Or can Chandler Stevenson do the job on his own? Well, I think he's shut up a lot of the critics who who kind of said, well, he's just a product of of Stone and Pacioretty. Put anyone in between those two guys and they'll be successful. Look, that's obviously not the case because it hasn't worked for a lot of the guys that had played in between. Cody Glass was a guy who they gave. They basically gave him the opportunity and he couldn't couldn't get the job done. Now he's, I think he's still in the AHL with Nashville, but... Uh, Chandler Stevenson, like I said, like like I said, he's a guy who who has kind of proven to the doubters that he is a really good hockey player. He he has a ton of speed, and I think the 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 goal he scored the other night, man, I mean, he's just turned into a, a really solid NHL center, and he's definitely a first line guy, and 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 he fits. He he is he is officially, I think, proving people wrong. I agree, and I love seeing him play this way without those two guys because you're right, he's not just, he's showing and has proved he's not just a product and a recipient of the benefactor of having two great guys on either side of him. He can center a first line, and I think we would see him getting a lot of playing time on any team in the National Hockey League, especially the way he's playing right now. And, um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights now, four-game road trip. Uh, it starts Tuesday in Toronto. Um a tall order. I mean, the, the Maple Leafs maybe not a great squad, but they've got one of the best players in Austin Matthews in the National Hockey League, and uh, they'll be a formidable foe. And you know, Ottawa, uh, you know, Canada, the Canadians, a nice little trip there. And then, of course, ending in uh, Detroit, my hometown, and the Red Wings. Um, definitely off to a surprising decent start uh, this season as uh, one of the doormats of the National Hockey League the last couple of years, playing much better hockey this year, and it looks like they're a team that is on. And the, the, I don't want to say the rebound and improving, but they are improving. I just don't know how much we'll see them improve this year. But good opponents for the Vegas Golden Knights to go on the road and play. And I agree, Chris, four wins is going to be tough to get on this road trip. But I could see them going 3-1 and one on this trip, possibly even 4-0 and oh, if they continue to play tight. But again, they can't have a letdown like they did in the Anaheim game. If they get a nice lead, you've got to maintain that lead. And that's been one of the knocks of the Golden Knights so far this season is playing full 60 minutes. They're going to have 
have to do that continuously to be as successful as they've been in the past. And last thing I want to talk about as far as hockey goes, last night, I don't know if you got a chance to watch that Boston Carolina game. What a hell of a game that was. Um, Last night, uh, it j- just incredible how this this Boston team, um, uh, excuse me, the, the, this Carolina team and the Florida Panthers. I think they're eight zero and one on the season, seventeen points, and lead the National Hockey League. Uh, some really good play out of two teams that we saw last year had stepped up, and our two teams that both I think will contend this year to go deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, really quickly, as I wanted to move on to to UNLV, UNLV played yesterday, and um, Spence, I don't know if you got a chance chance to see or listen to the game I, I know mags did um it wasn't pretty and we didn't expect them to go up to, to reno and win that game i don't think anyone expected them to go up there and win it but they had been competing in every game they had played to this point and to me the only highlights last night really came from wide receiver steve jenkins he had 12 catches 112 yards he did have a touchdown he played well but the defense giving up that many points is just unacceptable. And again, they're looking like the old UNLV Marcus Arroyo, his 14th loss is UNLV head coach. I just expected them to play a little bit better, I guess, than they did yesterday. And it's concerning because I don't know where this team picks up a win. A lot of people felt it might be the New Mexico game coming up or maybe Hawaii when Hawaii comes down. I don't know. New Mexico is on a bye week and they're coming off their, their third win of the season, beating Wyoming and really playing really well, shutting them out almost completely defensively. They, they only give up three points to Wyoming. They get a week of rest coming off of that win, and then UNLV comes to town. I don't know if this is a, if that's going to be a winnable game next week for UNLV. Well, that's the problem is that we're talking about maybe winning one game in the season. That's the state of the program is looking forward to maybe winning a game. And I mean, you kind of touched on it and I'll be quick is, you know, when you watch UNLV, you're like, OK, I don't think they're going to win this game, but I expect them to play at a certain level and they're going lower and lower in their standards throughout the season. And that is the exact opposite thing that you want to see. You want to see the team improving or at least playing, you know, baseline how good they were in a few games this season. But that's not happening at all. And they've just they're horrible is what it's coming down to right now. Well, I I think, you know, you you look at the way that they had played up until the Reno game. Look, they were they were blown out against Iowa State. Look, that you throw that out. But every other game outside of the Arizona State game, it was a one possession loss. I mean, they they have lost five games by one possession this season. I think at some point there was just gonna they were just gonna hit a breaking point where where things were just gonna completely fall off the rails. I don't understand how you don't get up to play the team up north. Like how you you get blown off the field in that game. And you know it's it yeah there's there's some questions about the talent disparity. UNLV's recruited at a pretty high level the last couple seasons. The difference is Carson Strong is a phenomenal quarterback. He's probably going to be playing on Sundays. Whether or not he's you know a, a, a starter in the NFL is another story, but he certainly has NFL talent. I think the thing is, the, the most disappointing part for me is it's not that they lost that game because I don't, like you said, I don't think anyone really expected them to go up to Reno and win that game. It's the fact that they were just completely disheveled and blown off the field, and, and it looked like they didn't even belong on the field with Reno, and that's that's the part that hurts. I don't know about New Mexico now. I, I have no idea what to expect going forward from this team. Like Spencer said, when when we're looking at one win as a potential, you know, way to, to be happy, when that's what we're looking forward to, will they win one game? It's a pretty disappointment, especially, and, and like I said, it, it, the very first pre-pregame show when they hosted Eastern Washington, I'm throwing out year one. Look, last year was a completely impossible situation. A lot very similar to what Marvin Menzies went through his first year. But much like Marvin Menzies, the wins aren't there in year two with Marcus Roy. You would have expected something because he had a full a full preseason, a full spring to get things ready to go with with this team. And, you know, at some point you have to find a way to win games because you can't keep losing close games and hang your hat on that. You have to start winning games. I think they if they can win two of the next four, and look, I don't think they're going to beat San Diego State, so that really leaves three, two of the next three, because they're not going to beat San Diego State, and it's going to be very, very tough to go to Air Force and win that game. But you've got to at least win 
a couple of these next few games to build something going in the next season because I cannot fathom as an alum of UNLV going from a point where they were winning four or five games a year with Tony Sanchez. And look, you know what? That's not great. But considering where the program was under Mike Sanford and Bobby Houck, for, for them to consistently be a 4-5 or five win team and have a shot at a bowl game going into those final two, three weeks of the season, that was at least enjoyable. As an alum, to go 0-6, for this team to go 0-6 last year, and now they could be looking at 0-12 this year, 18 straight losses, it, it just doesn't sit right with me, Brian. Off the play fake. Jenkins. Oh, nice block. But Jenkins zips into the end zone. Touchdown, UNLV. You got to be careful. Uh- one of the very few highlights of the game yesterday, that was one of the Steve Jenkins touchdown. But, Chris, your point's very well taken. I mean, I, you know, if that, is the, if that is the benchmark, is winning one game right now is going to be considered success uh, for Marcus Arroyo. I mean, I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall. I agree with you, last year has to be a wash, but you still have to look at the play on the field. And I remember last year in that Wyoming game, I just can't forget it, the second play from scrimmage when, like I said, you could have driven through two semi-trucks through that that hole defensively uh, when that running back ran for like 65 yards and a touchdown and, and Wyoming never looked back after that. Again, that was last season, um, the short season, but this year they look as good as they've looked in a couple of years at times and at other times they look like the same old UNLV team. I mean, if you want to hang your hat on anything yesterday, cumulatively, Reno only had 22 yards rushing total between all of them, quarterback, everyone, which is pretty surprising. Not one receiver, even though, as, as Magda mentioned, Carson Strong, huge with 417 yards, four touchdowns and interception. But do you know not one receiver had over 100 yards receiving? He spread the ball around really, really well. I mean, got, got so many people involved. I think altogether, uh, like 10 or 11 players caught passes for Carson Strong. That's how well this guy sees the field and why you could see what Chris said uh, Spencer that this kid could play on Sundays and I think he will uh, get a get a shot at the NFL he really is a good general on the football field and he is the, the one thing about Carson Strong if you've watched this kid over the years he really is able to make as Caleb said at the collegiate level there's three passes you must make at the pros there's four he can make all four of those passes and what makes him really special again is his ability to see secondary third and even fourth options at times the ability to scan the entire field and survey it like that is what makes Carson Strong special as you can see not much of a running game but throwing the ball all over the football field and it's going to be a tall order I'll tell you what I don't see UNLV I'll say it right now beating New Mexico next week and it could be an ugly game but I'll tell you Chris Spencer we'll leave it at this this team needs to play well in these games and needs to compete they can't let this game as Magnum said, let this derail their entire season. It's already really bad. It can be putrid if they get blown out and don't compete in these next couple games. I think going to New Mexico, having a good showing, competing into the fourth quarter and maybe to the end of the game is crucial for this team's confidence, for Marcus Arroyo's confidence, because at some point, mentally, you can just shut down and, and just start feeling really bad. And as you saw yesterday, their, their number one weapon, one of the better running backs in the country, and Charles Williams, he couldn't get off the ground yesterday uh figuratively speaking 30 yards rushing that is not going to cut the mustard not going to get it done when your best weapon is held to 30 yards and uh way too much pressure put on Cameron Friel to try to run this offense not going to get it done but I mean you know you're talking 40 to nothing at the end of the first half I mean that's disgusting and it shouldn't happen and uh we'll leave it alone we'll see what happens next week um you know I can't say I'm not looking forward to it but I am looking forward to one thing or that I am looking forward to I'm looking forward to one thing and that is seeing how they come back from this game and how they're able to compete on the road again. I almost think it's better for them that they stay on the road next week and don't come back to Allegiant Stadium for a minute and let this team uh, find a way to win a football game or, or to play better. But um, not much more I can say about that. But a lot I can say about college football, man. I'll tell you what, Spencer, you've got a highlight from what I thought was a game that completely lived up to its billing, the premier key marquee matchup in college football yesterday in the Big Ten between number six Michigan and number 
eight Michigan State. I'll tell you what, it is amazing uh, that this game, the way that it was played, the way it went down. But what's more amazing is Jim Harbaugh just unable to beat his uh, the, the two rivals you have to beat as head coach at the University of Michigan. You've got to beat Michigan State and you've got to beat Ohio State. He can't do it. With the lead and the ball now. And it's loose! McCarthy fumbled it! Michigan State has it! Two quarterbacks handle the football. It finally cost the Wolverines. I'll tell you what, Mel Tucker is doing a hell of a job in East Lansing. I didn't know what to think about this guy when he got hired there, when he was going to be the head football coach, and I'm loving this guy. His value is going through the roof right now. Um, it'll be like another Nick Saban there. People will see this guy's value. He'll be out of Michigan State and coaching in the SEC within two years. But, um, uh, Chris, I don't know if you got to see the Michigan State-Michigan game, but what a hell of a football game. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh, man, overcoaching. I think his desire to get that blue-chip recruit McCarthy into the game cost him big time. And, uh, you know, you want to get this freshman in. He's getting a lot of pressure from alumni. He's getting a lot of pressure from boosters. He's getting a lot of pressure internally to to put this kid on the field, even though this team is undefeated behind McNamara. And uh, that 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 double-headed monster at quarterback killed him yesterday uh, when when McCarthy put the ball on the uh, the ground at late in the game. Michigan didn't recover. Yeah, I didn't get get to see the game. I saw the highlights, and and I'll be honest, man i I like Michigan State as a program because they're kind of the program that gets forgotten about in the Big Ten because obviously you have Ohio State, you got Michigan, you've got Penn State. But Michigan State consistently has, going back to the days of Nick Saban, has been a top 15, top 10 program, you know, a, a, a lot. So it's 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 kind of cool that, and, and plus, I, I'll be honest, I know a couple of Michigan State alums, so obviously I, I like to see that school do well. But, um, you know, it's it, it's good to see. I didn't see the game, like I said. I saw the celebrations in, in, in East Lansing after the game, and I, 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 I'll have, I, I don't really have much to say about that other than, holy hell, what the heck was going on there? But, uh, yeah, it, for Jim Harbaugh, at some point, you've got to win a big game. You have to win a big game. It, it, like, the thing is, he's been there through a couple of different Ohio State coaches, and... They're still a better program than Michigan. And it burns me because I hate Ohio State. And to see Michigan just every single year, they come in with all this hype and they they always fall short. It's it's gotta be disappointing if if you know if you're a booster, if you're an alum of, of the University of Michigan, at some point you've got to be asking, is this really the best we can get from Jim Harbaugh? And Look, USC never hesitates to pull the trigger, right? Like USC, they brought in Clay Helton and they they pouted him around like he was going to be this great savior of the program. They did the same with a couple of other guys. They don't hesitate. Michigan at some point has to win a big game under Jim Harbaugh. Going 10 and 2, 9 and 3, that shouldn't be acceptable at Michigan regardless of who's your coach. I mean, when I was a kid, Bo Schembechler was the coach, and every year it seemed like they were in the national championship discussion. They couldn't wait to run Lloyd Carr out of town. The guy won a national championship. At some point, you have to start asking questions if Jim Harbaugh is the right guy for the job in, in, uh, in, in, at Michigan. He's currently three and nine against the Spartans and Buckeyes overall, with a three and four record against Michigan State and an zero and five mark against uh, Ohio State, and and that's just not going to get it done. Yeah, it's funny because like like I look at at John Robinson when he was at UNLV, and and his last year he won two games. UNLV went two and ten in John Robinson's last year. You know who they beat in those two games? They beat the school up north and they beat BYU. You know what? Those were the two biggest wins in John Robinson's career at UNLV as far as I'm concerned because he beat the rivals. He never lost to Reno. Yeah, you know what? He took them the one bowl game and they won that bowl game against Arkansas here in Vegas. But you have even if you're not winning national championships, you have to beat your rivals. You can't be 3 and 9 against the two biggest games and uh, the, the two biggest teams on your schedule every year. No, and that's that that is a fact. And I'll tell you what, 
he can redeem himself if somehow they beat Ohio State and uh, and 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 get that get that win. Uh, that could redeem himself, get a major bowl game, and then we're going to have to win it for Jim Harbaugh to keep his job as good as they've done this year, getting themselves into the top six in the country. They lose to Ohio State. I'm telling you right now, Harbaugh's gone next year. If those are his two losses, Michigan State and Ohio State, the alumni's not going to care anymore. But I'll tell you, talking about that game, um, the most amazing thing about that game, Chris, and you, if you watch the highlights and Google this guy, he is a beast. How about Kenneth Walker Jr.? Uh, you're talking about five touchdowns yesterday, a career high for this guy. He's the nation's leading rusher, and I am amazed how little he is talked about. When you watch this game, he was a man among men yesterday, just running through him. That final touchdown run of 58 yards was was incredible that he had just bust through everyone. He's a hard guy to bring down. He's elusive. He's, he has absolutely game-breaking speed, and he can run over people. I mean, this guy is the compete package. I, I think he's going to be a great one at the next level as well. Very, very high guy, hard guy to start especially when he runs with determination like he did yesterday. It was the first time, which is surprising to me, that these two teams faced each other when they were both top 10 rated teams in the country. That last time they did that was like 1964. So I was surprised. I thought they had done that before. But, um, you know, the, the, the combination of Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed, it's pretty amazing. They've been playing together since middle school. Jaden Reed will definitely play on Sundays. He wears Anthony Carr. Or, well, he wears number one. They have the, I was going to say another guy from Michigan who I like a great deal, that wide receiver for them who also wears number one, the old Anthony Carter number, is another guy that I think is going to be a great receiver on Sundays. But um, this Michigan State team, can they beat anyone? I don't think so. I think that they would have trouble beating Georgia. I think they'd have trouble beating Alabama. There may be a few other teams they'll struggle with as well. But, hey, they've got to be in consideration, and they are talking about the, uh, the the playoffs. I mean, the bottom line is Ohio State's in front of them, and Ohio State's got a loss, and at the beginning of the season wasn't playing real well. So I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the year. It's going to be really interesting, but Michigan State now in prime position to play for their second time, it would be, in the college football playoffs, and that would be pretty darn cool. I really like this Michigan State team, and the key is with them, too. As, aside from having, in my opinion, the best running back in the country, they also have a pretty amazing defense and when they have to make stops they do and they create turnovers they are really being taught to create turnovers and they do it as well as anybody in the country this michigan state team's really good i think they're good enough to be a playoff team i think maybe they're the third best fourth best team in the country right now in what i see especially based on their record and playing in the big 10 which is a pretty damn good conference so i like it i like what i'm seeing and um i think um I don't know. I think you, you, MSU might run the table. Big, big, big talk right here, but we'll see. Uh, real quick, Spencer, let's uh, time to talk about the World Series, and that's our subject of fact this this week. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. That's a fact. The Atlanta Braves are one game away, game away from winning the World Series. This would make them the first team to win the World Series after being under 500 until the end of the first week in August. The latest by any team ever, again, to make it to the World Series, so they'd be the first team to ever win it that way. The 2006 World Series champion St. Louis Cardinals only won 83 regular season games. The Braves won 88, but to win under 90 games and to do what they've done in the postseason, I would say is... Pretty spectacular, except the way they finished after, you know, from August through September, them along with the St. Louis Cardinals, the hottest teams in baseball. So it's not super surprising the Braves are here. Their pitching staff is incredible. And one guy on their roster, Chris, Eddie Rosario, I mean, he was the NLCS MVP. This guy just continues to come up with big hit after big hit. Had a couple last night. Some other people got it done as well. But, um, wow, who would have saw this coming when they, when, they, when they made the trade for Eddie Rosario a little bit earlier in the season? Oh, see there? Hope we're still going. Spent yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are still on. Yeah, so... so I, I wasn't sure if you were talking to me or not. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy. And it's funny you mentioned that that St. Louis Cardinals team in 2006 that won 83 games. What's the common denominator in that St. Louis Cardinals team in 2006 and this Atlanta Braves team? Well, the New York Mets 
are involved because the Mets melted down and should have beaten that St. Louis Cardinal team in the NLCS in 2006. And this year, the New York Mets melt down after basically leading the division from April all the way up until July, allowing the Braves to to really come from nowhere to, to win that division. I thought their season was over when Ronald Acuna Jr. went down. It amazes me that this team is, is is one win away from the World Series. I hate the Atlanta Braves. I can't stand that team, and it makes me sick that they're one win away from the World Series. I'm one of the few people who isn't a Houston Astros fan who was rooting for the Astros to win this World Series. I can't stand the fact that the Braves are one win away from the World Series. It makes me want to throw up, Brian. You know, see, with me, it's a completely different feeling. I love Dusty Baker, and I'm happy that Dusty Baker was getting another opportunity at a World Series championship. It's not that I'm a gigantic Braves fan, uh, but I can't stand the Houston Astros. Hey, you know what? Altuve's proving to us he is one of the greatest players pound for pound his size and stature ever to play in Major League Baseball. He's a bona fide Hall of Famer. He's proving to us that he never needed to cheat to do what he does because he's that good. And the fact that he did cheat and did wear a wire, I can't get past it. I don't know that I ever will. I can't get past some of the guys that use steroids. You know, some of them, uh, like like Pettit, who came out and said, I used him. He was recovering from an injury, and he used them to help himself get better and admitted it right off the bat. Maybe I can stand that. A-Rod claims the same thing, that he only used them for one season, again, to help overcome injury. I- I'm not so sure about that, but... The point is, is there certain things that I can stomach and there's certain things I can't. The Houston Astros were good enough to win the World Series without having to wear wires to steal signs. When when signs are, it's completely illegal for base runners to steal signs and, and, and transfer them, but not to wear wires. And I'll never forget it. It was disgusting to me. It's repulsive. And, I, you know, the only thing is it's hard for me because A.J. Hinch is now the, the manager of the Detroit Tigers. So, I, you know, I'm torn a little bit there. But realistically, um. I can't stand the Houston Astros for that reason. So I'm pulling for the Braves, and I hope they get the win. Haven't had a World Series victory since 99. Remember they had that run for, God, I think like 13 years when they made the playoffs every year and only got one World Series victory over the the Cleveland Indians in that that entire run. But I do want the Braves to win the World Series for the simple fact I just can't stand the Houston Astros again I can't stand cheating in professional sports I know that it goes on in history we've we've had plenty of examples of it but I hate it every time and I'm always going to always going to speak against it and again I hope uh, I hope we we do see the Houston Astros go down in the World Series. I wouldn't mind if they go down in five games. I love it when my team's not in. I always want to see seven games. I want to see seven games and the seventh game go into extra innings. In this case, I don't care. I just want the Astros gone from the uh, the World Series. And again, I just don't feel that they deserve it still. And um, you know, they should have the last one taken away. I mean, I'm that I'm that adamant about it. Um, but. It, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun last game of the series, and the Astros are this the, the type of team. They are a great team with two outs. They are a great team with their backs against the wall. Here they have their backs against the wall. We'll see how they come out. It should be interesting. Um, while we still have time, talking about S and the S and B, which is the silver and black, the Las Vegas Raiders, five and two on their bye week this week. They've won two straight games since John Gruden has been gone. They beat Denver two weeks ago, and last week a big win at home, thirty-three to twenty-two, without probably their number one star, Darren Waller, and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles in a big win. And I got to ask you both, Spencer. I'll start with you being the biggest Raiders fan there is. How about backup Foster Moreau? You know, people have been talking about this kid since the beginning of the season. I've been hearing his name. I got to meet him briefly at the WNBA at an Aces game. Um, he doesn't look that imposing or anything. And obviously, he's behind Darren Waller, arguably one of the top three best tight ends in football. But everyone has been saying, wait until this guy gets on the field and do what he can do, show you what he can do. He made some big time catches. He was the leading receiver in the game. And I really like this kid. 60 yards, six catches a touchdown in basically what was his starting debut in the National Football League. You got to like him, and you got to like the fact the Raiders have hung in there. And with all the controversy and all the focus on them because of John Gruden, 
They've won two in a row. It's been incredible. And I've loved Foss Moreau since they drafted him. I was a huge fan of his. And honestly, like the whole John Gruden thing, uh, you know, bringing in Jason Witten last year was a complete waste of this guy's career because Foss Moreau would probably start on half the teams in the league. That's how talented he is. And that catch he had for that touchdown. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. So, you know, the big storyline has been, are the Raiders better without John Gruden? You know, I've been pretty much saying that for a couple of years now. It, you know, it looks great now. We'll see because there's, you know, the first game after you have all the energy, right? It's like, wow, we got a new coach. We got to play up for this guy. It's like almost like an effect everywhere in the league. The, the coach wins the next one. You know, the fact that they took care of business and their offenses look so good. And, you know, it just looks like the playbook has opened up. I was so sick of seeing them on third and one with the fullback dive. And then on fourth and inches, a fullback dive. You know, they're starting to push it down the field. Derek Carr loves pushing it down the field, as we've seen. And again, he's just been the most impressive player of the Raiders this year, bar none. Chris, are the Raiders really the best team in the NFC West? No, they're they're not the best team in the NFC West or the AFC West. Uh, the AFC West, it's, it's going to be the Chargers. They are the best team in that division right now. Kansas City, they were, you know, it, it's funny. I had the conversation with someone last week about how quick the window closes in the NFL. And I'm not saying the Chiefs' window was closed, but they seem to have been exposed. And it started with Tampa, and they have not recovered from that loss, from just getting their ass kicked by the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. The Chargers look like the best team, uh, you know, from from both ends of the football. I love their coach. I like the fact that he's he's like a guy who legitimately says, you know what, I'm going for it on fourth down from my own 30 if it's fourth and one. He's he's got a lot of a lot of guts and I like that. I like Justin Herbert. He's he he looks like the real deal. And uh yeah, look, the Raiders are good. I think they're a playoff team. Um you know, it, it remains to be seen. Look, the the reality is coming up after the bye week, after the Giants game, things start to get a little tough schedule-wise for the Raiders. The Bengals are going to come into town and that's a team that I think they, they proved last week that they're for real when they went into Baltimore and just absolutely beat the snot out of the Baltimore Ravens and, and Lamar Jackson in that game last week. So uh, the schedule's going to pick up for the Raiders, and we're going to find out, I think, in the next month or so if the Raiders are for real. If they come out of that in good position, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's a legit chance that we talk about them as a team that could win the division or, or, and maybe make a run in the playoffs. That'll be really interesting, especially the way that this season uh, has panned out when usually you have something that went on like with John Gruden it is a major distraction. It upsets the team. It messes them up. And that really bodes the question because it's amazing. Some players have actually spoken out about, against Gruden. You know, you thought, you know, they would just remain quiet. And I, I mean, most people you think would plead the fifth. They're not. They're saying that that it's way less tense in the sidelines, that Gruden was running around yelling at everyone, yelling at his assistant coaches. And it seems like Pisacci, Rich Pisacci is, is a favorite. These guys really like him. And you know what's cool about a special teams coach is, again, they see everything. They really get to observe the entire game. And uh, they have a lot more knowledge than people would think. There was an old special teams coach that coached with the Lions and several other teams named Frank Gans, who I used to absolutely love as a special team coach. He was one of the most fun guys to listen to in press conferences when he talked, and it was amazing his knowledge of both sides of the football, not just special teams. Versace, is, I think, is a guy who can definitely lead this team and will lead this team through the remainder of the season. And if this team conti continues to play this way, Spencer, should this guy be considered to have that interim mark removed? I know we're speaking, it's only been two games, I get it, but is, is he a guy that if they, they continue to play like this and seeming to play together and, uh, you know, hell, if you would have told me they're going to be missing Darren Waller and maybe beating Philadelphia isn't that big of a deal without him, but he's arguably the best player on this football team. When you lose your best player, it's tough to compete, and he's such a lethal part of that offense. And yet Foster Moreau stepped into the great job. But is all this maybe a reflection of the personality of Rich Passacci? Is he helping you know, make this team win? Well, the guys certainly like him, so that's a good thing. I think it depends on the you know the coaching carousel, who's a free agent. You know, Eric Bieniemy has got to be priority number one for them. If he says no, okay, then you start to consider. I mean, you have the rest of the season, so if, you know, if they get nine wins, Eh, that's really on the bubble. If they go to 10 or 11, I say, okay, maybe you don't interview anybody and you give this guy the job because that would be a huge step forward for this team, you know, considering last year. There are two names on the Raiders that I think deserve a tremendous amount of credit right now. Greg Olson and our defensive coordinator, Gus um, Bradley, because 
you know, Gus has transformed the worst defense in the league to somewhere around 15. And that's a task that I never thought I'd ever see. But Greg Olson, you know, Derek Carr had him his rookie season and he's just kind of stepped in. He's like, we need you to start calling plays now. And gosh, it seemed like the guy was ready a long time ago. You know, John Gruden was calling spider two white banana every other play. Greg Olson seems to open up the playbook a little bit more. And we're seeing the fruits of, uh, you know, the benefits of that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of what Spencer said, I, I agree with, because I, I think like you, you look at at the job that Greg Olson's done stepping in and, and they're, they're a completely different team on the offensive side of the ball. But, um, you know, I, I want to say he's two and oh. you know, the Raiders have two losses and those two losses are completely hung on John Gruden and the team before Bisaccia. So right now he's two and oh. Nine wins. I'll agree with you, especially in a team. Nine wins is going to be a little uglier than nine wins in the past. Because that would mean you'd have eight losses, you know, and so that's not that great. But I would say 10 or 11 wins for Bisaccia. And I would also, if I'm ownership management, talk to the play, talk to the players a little bit. I mean, I know you're not a big fan of Mike Mayock. He may not have a job after this year either. But I think you have to talk to the players and really get their take on Rich Bisaccia because you want to keep everybody happy. And I think if you talk to them privately, interview some of your key players and say, what do you think of this guy? You know? and really get a feel before you make a move because you want a team happy, and especially after what just happened, you want a team bonding together. And it seems like in this, the wake of, uh, you know, what happened to Gruden, this team really has unified and united, and uh, they're playing well under Bisaccia. Again, it's way too early to to start patting this guy on the back or to start handing him, you know, the, the reins, but... I think based on what I've seen, you have to consider it because this team has played well. The win up in Denver was big. Okay. It's a, it's an interdivision rival that has, that has exceeded people's expectations this year. And when Teddy Bridgewater's healthy, that is a tough football team. Teddy Bridgewater can get the job done and they went up there and beat him pretty handily. Then to come back here in a game that could have easily been a letdown game against the Eagles. They won it and did exactly what they were expected to. They never weren't in control in this football game. And that's what you expect them to do. And now they get to go on a bye and they come back against the Giants. Now, granted, the Giants just had their biggest win of the season last week against the the, the Panthers, who I think we all realize Sam Darnold maybe looked good the first couple of weeks, but he's garbage. I, I'm surprised. I thought Sam Darnold would have more success, but he's really looked bad the last couple of weeks for Carolina. They're already talking about making moves for another quarterback. But that being said, it's still a big win for the New York Giants. And now they will play the Las Vegas Raiders. And Spencer, I think it's a good matchup for the Raiders coming off a bye, coming off back-to-back wins for a chance to win three in a row. Yeah, well, the Giants have been very injured this season, but but here's the bottom line of the situation. If the Raiders are going to get to 10 or 11 wins, you can't take losses to the Giants, especially when you lose to a team like the Bears earlier in the season who look like they're actively falling apart, and they were at the time they were playing the Raiders. So that was like a really bad loss. You can't take too many of those if you want to make the playoffs, especially with that extra game. It's just you got to take advantage of the situation and, uh, you know, very beatable team. And, you know, going into the uh, Eagles game, that was a kind of a game that we've seen the Raiders lose historically. When they start winning some football games, they have the letdown. Well, they certainly looked great in that Eagles game. Didn't start off well. They haven't all season, but and scores all that matters, right? So, um, yeah, I think they should beat the Giants. And uh, that would be really sick to see a six and two Raiders. I don't know the last time I've seen that. Six and two with three straight wins, starting the season with three wins and following it up with three more wins. That's two three-game winning streaks in the same season for the Raiders. Haven't seen that in an awful long time. Be pretty damn cool. And, uh, you know, I said the premier matchup this week in the NFL was Thursday night, the Packers-Cardinals. It lived up to the billing. Kind of unfortunate. The Cardinals just ran out of time at the end of the game. They didn't really run out of time. A, a terrible turnover at the end of the game, and the Cardinals lose that football game. But I think they showed that they can play with anybody green bay and i said after week one that lost to the saints i'm like man you don't want to piss aaron Rodgers off this guy hasn't lost it he had a bad game against the, the saints he didn't really practice in the preseason very much people wondered earlier on in the preseason if he was even going to play for the packers this year and now he's got the packers tied for the best record in the nfl at seven and one and this is a very dangerous football team and they win that game in Arizona without their top two receivers in El Lazard and of course Devontae Adams and now granted Rodgers was 6-0 and now 7-0 and without Adams but trust me they are not a better team without Devontae Adams that's pretty amazing that, that Rodgers gets this done he is 
the best and most premier quarterback in the National Football League right now. We're seeing some struggles and some growth struggles and also some problems with the offensive line in Kansas City. And I still think overall, athletically, I mean, I'm never going to take away anything from the Kansas City caller. He's the best there is. I mean, we see what he can do, but Aaron Rodgers on top of it, uh, right now, I would take him over Patrick Mahomes the way he's playing this season. And that was the premier game. The only real good matchup that I see this today that I'm looking forward to this afternoon, the Bucks playing the Saints, uh, Jameis Winston getting to play his old team. Something to prove he's played much better than he's played in his entire career. Or I should say he's played more consistently than he's played in his career. The Bucks coming in, I think this is a prime upset for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think... My gut tells me the Bucks are going to win this game, but I won't be surprised if the Saints end up on the winning end. Yeah, the passion is there for Jameis Winston, which is you know what you want to see out of your quote-unquote franchise quarterback, but he's just missed one too many throws for my liking um, to kind of think that he's going to be the guy moving forward, but I think all the credit should go to their, you know, the coach. I mean, it's on. It's well, unreal. Sean Payton is one of the able, best coaches yeah. in the NFL and has been for years, Spencer. A bad coach. That this is like a two-win football team. It feels like. Well, maybe not that extreme, but certainly they would not be four and two right now. He's working in offense with Jameis Winston, who is maturing. But again, like I said, that miss he had to Callaway in the back of the end zone in that Seahawks game. It's just that's what puts it over the edge for me. Okay, we'll see. It's going to be a good game today. And, of course, there's no more undefeated teams in the NFL, but there's one team without a win still. The Lions are hosting that Philadelphia Eagle team that was in here last week trying to pick up their first win. Did they do it today? Uh, I think if there is a – well, and that's not true. You can win any week in football. And the thing is, is Detroit is playing very hard, and you have to appreciate that. They oh, will God. get a win. I appreciate if, anything. <laughs> if they, I think, actually, they could get the win today. It's just the game to do it for them. We'll see. Last thing I want to say, Kate Cunningham made his NBA debut yesterday night for the Detroit Pistons. They beat uh, Orlando 110 to 103, but he had 2.7 rebounds and two assists. The last time anyone ever shot two points is the number one overall pick in the NBA. Well, how about Anthony Bennett did that back in his debut in 2013? Shocker that he was the last guy to do it. Kate Cunningham's a much better player. We'll see better play, but one of eight from the field's not going to get it done. A horrible debut and one of the worst shooting percentages ever by a debut of a number one overall pick. It doesn't figure it's for the Pistons. Listen, we're out of time. This is out of line. I want to thank Spencer, the Wiz Ostrovsky, and of course, Chris Magnum Chap. And back in studio, I'm Brian Feldman. We'll be back next Sunday, same time, 8 o'clock. Look forward to talking to you then.